Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good afternoon. Welcome into the podcast. Today is October the 26th. It's still 2022, people. We're getting closer, though. And uh, welcome in to uh, a rant fest, I think. I think tonight's going uh, to encompass some ranting just a little bit, uh, maybe even a lot. And, you know, here's something that's interesting in as much as it's infuriating. How many times do you meet someone, typically a younger person, but not always, who's 22 years of age and claims they have 10 years of firefighting experience. Now, this is interesting in as much it would make them a firefighter at age 12. And I find myself cringing every time I see somebody who says, yeah, I'm 30 and I have 34 years of experience. You know, and and it's it's ludicrous, number one, and I think it speaks to a character flaw. There's a defect there. It's as if they so terribly want to, to appear more than what they really are. And so it is that, that on occasion we see people count in their uh, juniors, when they were juniors, or when they were uh, sparks in some place, uh, young people who want to be firefighters are, are called sparks. Um, might be they might be called uh, auxiliaries. There's there's different names for people, but who are who are too young to be firefighters. And, and so uh, the people who do that sometimes they they really believe deep in their heart, even though their heart is is depressingly wrong, that they can count their their so-called experience. Um, in, in something that is, is very amateur and is meant to introduce them to a life of firefighting but does not count as the life of a firefighter. And oftentimes, these young people will try to point out that, no, no, I'm 23, but I have 8, 9, 10 years of experience. No, you don't. No, you don't. In fact, um, it is indicative to everyone else who's looking at it as an absolute and undeniable bullseye. You know, it's like if you're out in a crowd and somebody's looking for an idiot and uh, people are looking around and there's somebody with a hat that says, I'm the idiot you're looking for. That's these people. Now, we can get very psychological and say, well, perhaps they just want to belong and they have a deep-seated uh, deficiency. They, they need to belong and, and they want to be in charge. We can go through all of that. We certainly can. And, and some people go, well, does it really matter? Yes, it does. It does matter. And more and more departments, paid departments, are starting to look at this and go, hmm, 
Because imagine this, you have a 23-year-old law enforcement officer somewhere. This law enforcement officer in an interview says, I've got 14 years of experience. Is that a problem? Yes. That officer would never go into a courtroom and have to testify and be asked, do you have 14 years of experience? Because if he said yes, that's an impeachable witness. They're going to have a field day. Why is it any different in the fire service? To me, it is misleading. But not only is it misleading, it's an embarrassment to whatever organization that, that this person belongs to. Now, understand this. If these people are doing it amongst their friends, and they typically have one friend, if they're doing it amongst other friends where they're saying, oh, man, yeah, back in the day, you know, two weeks ago, that's fine. All right? You, you accept it and you go, look, there are people out there who need to carry their own trees around so that they can create oxygen. We get it. That's understandable. What's not understandable is to do it in any official um, correspondence or, or appearing in public and stating those types of things. It is wrong. And I've seen it three times in the last month. And it's just getting to the point where people are going to pay for their, uh, for them saying, you know, hey, yeah, I've got tons of experience. Really, when did you join? Well, last year. Look, as it is, most paid departments don't look at volunteer experience. They don't uh, accept it. But that's an argument that can be made. What is not an argument is if you're some type, if you were some type of junior firefighter, auxiliary, uh, whatever you want to call it, explorer, whatever the case may be, you were not a firefighter. You were never a firefighter. In fact, um, you're lower than people who've yet to be hired. It doesn't mean you're bad. It's a good thing to belong to those things. It, it helps the fire service. But then it turns around and gives the fire service a tremendous black eye where these people try to include that experience. Because let's face it, get them in court. What are they going to say? How are they going to defend it? Who's going to come in and defend it? The bottom line is we see it far too often now. And I know firsthand that there are departments that are starting to go, we don't want these people. And if they make these claims, these false claims, we're going to have to get rid of them. Because let's face it, it is a false claim. You know, when somebody says, yeah, I've got 10 years of experience as a firefighter, you're not expecting them to say, oh, yeah, my mom brought me to all the meetings. That, that's not 10 years experience as a firefighter. Some of these people shouldn't be on the job anyway. But, but I mean, let's face it. It is an absolute and undeniable embarrassment and it can have consequences. It really can. My advice, quit. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. And to organizations, if you see somebody doing it, shut it down. Seriously, shut it down. Um, it is just idiotic. No time for, no time for children. No time for children. Firefighting is an adult business. You're trying to recruit people. 
you, you bring them in, you, you let them join these organizations when they're, when they're young, I think they're great, outstanding. But that does not count as experience. I'm sorry, just doesn't. And at some point, it's going to cost people because they continue to push this false narrative. And believe me, it's false. We've been hearing a lot about apparatus, right? Um, I've been keeping track of, of uh, electric apparatus. I've been reaching out to people about uh, ordering apparatus as well. You know, like uh, what's being ordered? Uh, what are the things people are looking for? Who are the manufacturers that are, that are uh, turn, turning the trucks out? And I, am, uh, I have invited someone on. Um, they have not got back to me yet on a final. They, the initial thing is to say yes, but they have to check uh, with, with their corporate leadership, obviously, before they do anything. But here's something that I think we should all understand. Um, now the catchword is, is, uh, is, you know, well, we have these supply chain, supply chain issues. And in some cases, it's true but not in all cases. Sometimes a department just doesn't plan. Sometimes a company just doesn't follow through on what it's promised. Those types of things happen. Here's my advice to departments where people aren't following through. Don't make the mistake again. Go with a different company. If you're having issues or if you've had an issue of any significance, any significance, and you go back to the well, you're a sucker. That's how most people look at it. And believe it or not, manufacturers, I'm not saying the manufacturers, but the people who sell trucks, they know the suckers too. Don't be one. If you're not getting what you asked for, whatever the case may be, go with somebody else. Don't make the same mistake two, three, four, or five times. It's not worth it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Yes, there are supply chain issues with certain things. But it is, I think, uh, tremendously overblown in the sense that good planning prevents this type of thing. Sure, there may be a three or four month delay if you've ordered it a while back. Sometimes if you order now, it might take a while. But you have to ask yourself, why is it taking a while? Well... Look at the manufacturer in many cases. That's a big clue. Just something to think about. Also, with respect to the all-electric apparatus, um, the cells are not through the roof by any stretch. Um, and, and you wouldn't expect them to be, actually. Um, there are, uh, sometimes they're cost prohibitive. Um, there's no history out there. There's nothing to say, man, we're going to get 10 good years out of this because it hasn't been 10 good years. Um, and so on and so forth. There's just a lot of unknowns. It doesn't mean that these trucks won't become what, what uh, companies say that they will. They may very well be. You know, they may very well end up being the best thing that's ever happened to fire apparatus. My guess is they end up being uh, fire apparatus. And there will be good ones and there will be bad ones. In the same way that there were good horses and bad horses and good uh, diesel engines and bad diesel engines. I don't think electric's going to be any different, just to be blunt. 
I think there will be good ones, and there will be bad ones. And in a hundred years, this conversation will happen again about nuclear-powered fire apparatus or about, uh, you know, fire apparatus that's uh, just propelled by small goats. I don't know. It depends. Also depends on where you're at. The conversation that I had, I think it was seven months ago, um, it was in a podcast Oh, it was still, I hadn't reached the 30th podcast yet, and talked about rescues. And I've always had this absolute opinion about rescues. Your department doesn't have a rescue if it's not staffed 24-7. You have a truck that you throw a bunch of people on when necessary, or you send one person to get it, and they come out. And, and so basically what you have, you have a truck. You don't have a rescue. You see, because a rescue has people on it, people that are trained, people who have multiple skills. I'm not talking about people who are certified and everything. I'm talking about people who do construction, who turn out to be pretty good rescue people, people who understand physics, people who understand uh, all sorts of, of topics, uh, people who... Uh, can work with their hands because that's what rescue is. And so I was I was talking with someone the other day, a politician. And uh, this politician, we were talking about a department, and they said, "Well, we we do have a rescue truck." And I said, "Okay." And he's like, "Well, we do." And I'm like, "Well, you have a truck, yes, but you don't have a rescue." And he seemed perplexed. And so I explained that to him that yes, you have a truck. But you've been misled because you don't have a rescue. You don't have anything closely approximating a rescue. You have something that's being sold as a rescue, but with nobody on it with any sort of training. I mean, there's nobody on it, period. You have a manpower vehicle. That's what you have. And sure, it can go and it can bring some neat little tools to the scene. But then where are your people who are trained in those tools? And if they're trained, if you've spent the money to send them to training, why aren't they on it all the time? Is it possible that you have to call off-duty people to come help? I mean, and there's no shame in that game, but what about time? Rescues get there. They need to start work, just as fire apparatus do. So I guess the bottom line is this. You don't have a rescue. You have a vehicle that it might be painted on the side. You know, you may have T-shirts even. You may have some guys that have a hat. Yeah, I'm on a rescue. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You might as well say, yeah, I'm, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm on a joint strike fighter. Really? Well, no. I mean, I'm on one, but, you know, I can't, can't ride it all the time. Right. You don't. It's not a rescue. Rescue has people on it. Those people respond to different kinds of calls. And they're pretty handy people. It's not something that you just pull up out of the grass. You don't take two people and say, okay, you know, osh by gosh, you're a rescue. It's not what it is. Any more than you can do that with any other piece of apparatus. It's interesting, though. It's interesting when politicians think they have one. And they find out they don't. It's always interesting.
the season is upon us. What season is that? The fire season. It's what we used to call it in October, November, when temperatures started. Now, for all of you people who are in frigid areas, I know it's already been cold. Um, but uh, for most of the country, it's starting to get into the season where temperatures drop. When that happens, um, people start moving inside. Mistakes are made. Some people can't afford proper heating equipment. Some people, you know, things just happen. You end up with, with fires. And it used to be said, and this was a very long time ago before I was born, so you know it was a long time ago, that this is where firefighters make their money, is in the winter season. You have fires in the summer, but there's something about a fire in the winter. There's something about uh, that possibility of a fire where you want to be inside because it's a lot warmer than it is outside. One of the uh, great personalities, characters, and authors in the fire service is Leo Stapleton. Uh, was a commissioner and chief of the Boston Fire Department for many years. Of course, wrote a bunch of good books about it as well. And he used to say, warm weather is a tit. And uh, he's absolutely right. It's great to be in a place where you can always wear your t-shirts uh, year-round. And, I mean, that's, that's nice. When a fire hits in December or January and the temperature is plunged and you're working your behind off there's just something about it that that hits different we're getting into that season and I think it's wise for young firefighters to understand that the fire service does have seasons and those seasons are uh, pretty well uh, mark there, there you know there are times that that you know that you're going to go to a particular type of fire space heaters you're gonna have them in the winter you are it's about getting yourself ready for that kind of thing and i don't mean something romantic or dramatic i mean showing up for work you've got to be ready to answer a call every day when you're showing up to work when it's starting to get cold or it is cold, you got to prepare yourself to be warm when you get a call. You have to ask yourself, am I dressed warmly enough? What do I wear? You know, layering. What do I need to do? You can always tell the people who've done it before. Because after a fire in a cold place, um, they're the ones who aren't freezing their you-know-what's off. They're not. It's cold, but they were ready. So something to keep in mind. Speaking of young folk, I sometimes feel like I get blue in the face telling people, um, you know, if you're serious about the job, if you are, learn all you can learn. Notice I say learn. I don't say to be great at the job. Find someone who will teach you all you need to know because it's impossible. If you want to be good to great, 
there are things you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to put forth the effort. No matter how great of a mentor you may have, nobody can bring you everything. You have to go out and learn stuff on your own. That requires effort. That requires an ability to say, you know what, it sure would be nice to just sort of hang out today, but I'm working on something. I'm trying to learn something. I'm trying to get better. I think one of the keys is determining for yourself what you're willing to do to get better. Whether you like it or not, you broadcast to the people around you exactly how serious you are about the job. And when you're young, you're a blank slate. You are. As you start painting, as you start filling up that canvas, people start to look at you and go, huh, okay, that's someone who really wants to learn. Or that's someone who, frankly, man, doesn't do a thing. Those are things that stick with you. It's hard to get out of those things. It really is. It's hard to get away from those early impressions. Not impossible, but it's hard. Much easier to be the person who says, you know what? I want to be good. Therefore, I got to work at it. Some people are really good at talking. They are. Some people are really good. at. I, sometimes you roll your eyes because you listen to people talk about how good they are and I know one guy, well, you know, my idea about this fire was I thought what we should have. And, you know, you're like, wow, what is that? You, you've had two fires, uh, one in a fireplace when you were young. And now this one and suddenly uh, your Tommy tactics, you know, from from truck 200. Look, the bottom line is everybody's learning. Everybody is. It's just the degree to which they're learning. Some people learn from the things that they never do. Some people learn from all the things they do and watch others do. And frankly, if you want to be good or great, you need to watch what other people do. And then you have to crawl out there on your own sometimes and say, you know what, I want to learn more about this, so I'm going to do it. And that's not always easy. But it's always available. You learning on your own, the only person preventing it is you. I think that says it all. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Sunday with another podcast. Until then, stay safe.